I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. It's been a while since we've had an artist on the podcast, so here's a reminder of why we include artists in this conversation to challenge the church to do better. First, artists are typically pretty good at tapping into their intuition and remaining integrated with their bodies. In order to heal from trauma, many of us church abuse survivors are learning how to listen to our intuition and trust our bodies once again, after having our identities attacked. The second reason we invite artists into this conversation is, as one artist on Uncertain said it, artists accurately name the present while imagining what the future could be. This is exactly what those of us recovering from abuse in the church need. Language to name what we are going through, accompanied with a hope for what the future could be. Today's guest is author and lawyer Lauren McBrayer. I believe so strongly in the power of fiction and the power of metaphor to capture the truth of our lives. I mean, perhaps even better than if I had had like a manual of like, here's what's going to happen in the next year of your life. In a sense, truer than what happened in my real life. In this episode, we address women in the church, the power of narrative and storytelling, exploring sexuality, and the embodied and healing experience of creating art. I'll link to the sermon we mention in this episode in the show notes, as well as a link to pre-order Lauren's new novel, Like a House on Fire. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. On the website, tearsofeden.org, we have book reviews, podcast recommendations, and we share survivor stories. We are continuing to add resources to the website, so if you are a survivor of abuse in the church or you are seeking to understand this better, we encourage you to check it out. Here's my interview with Lauren McBrayer. Hi. Hi. I'm psyched to be doing this. Thanks for the reschedule to now. Yeah. Glad it's going to work out finally. I feel like we've been talking about this for a couple years. <laughs> That's not what I'm to say. A couple time. months. A couple months. It happens when it's supposed to. So, yeah. 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 And I'm excited because you're, you're the first... I'm planning on just kind of doing like my, my artist interview and then we'll, I'm sure we'll get into other things with, with this, but you're, I'm excited. Cause you're like my first like fiction writer person. And I am excited about that because yeah, I just don't know that many fiction writers. Yeah, we need to band together. I know exactly. Well, thanks for doing this. I, I really loved your sermon that you did with the loft. That was really cool. Just hearing that, that side of your story. Cause I don't know. I know we've like talked around it, but I haven't heard. Well, and it's interesting that. to synthesize a, a part of your story. I mean, I, I was really taken aback by even the ask, you know, I, I barely knew, I don't know the new pastor of the loft and as well. And he, like we followed each other on Instagram and he came up to me and was like, I followed you on Instagram. And I feel like you're the person I'm supposed to ask to talk about women in the church. And I'm like, Whoa, really? You don't have that kind of stuff on your Instagram. So I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? And I think actually it's maybe some of my veiled discussions of this book, which, you know, we'll talk about the book, but that, you know, if you don't really dig into the book, you know, maybe it seems like it's about something different. I don't know. But so he asked me and I, of course, was like, well, if a pastor is asking me to do something, it must be from God. So I'm supposed to say yes. So uh, I said yes. And as I was synthesizing what I wanted to say kind of loosely, 
I thought to myself, like, is this going to like resonate with anyone? I mean, it's, it felt so specific to like my own experience, but the response was amazing. People Mm -hmm. seemed so touched by it. And like men came up to me afterwards and said, I've never, you know, heard anyone speak about this. I'm like, about what? Like, it was sort of this sense of, you know, when it's yours, you you don't. It's so normal to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, No. Yeah. I was on a a podcast a couple of weeks ago and it was interesting in her editing, like what she pulled out of my story. Like that was really like what, what meant like what, yeah. What she chose to highlight. It was just weird. You know, it was kind of like, Oh, like this story that just seems so normal to me because I lived it. But then those were the parts that were like, whoa, that really stood out to her. So yeah, similar, similar, similar thing. Yeah. So just to start off, I would love to hear your creative journey and how you got started as creative. So I would say that I, as a kid, I was always writing stories. You know, I have notebooks filled with the beginnings, you know, the first chapters of stories. And I would get maybe, you know, four or five chapters in with elaborate plans to finish. And then I just put them in a drawer and start a new one. I never finished anything. I mean, and and I would decorate the covers with collages and I would give them titles as though they were going to be books that you, you know, this is so you knowing you, this is so you. (laughs) So, and they were all, even at a very young age, they were all romances, which is just an interesting thing. I'm kind of marveling really at interesting yeah I had a preoccupation with romantic love and I, I'm still unpacking where that came from but yeah I mean it because my parents had a really sweet lovebird story they met at 12 and have been together ever since and so I would you know that was kind of the backdrop of my life and my experience of what romantic love was supposed to be which I know shaped me and also probably made me feel like I was supposed to find it really early Anyway, so yeah. we, we can, I mean, that probably relates to what I ended up writing about, but anyway, so I would, I wrote as a kid and it was always the thing I was good at, you know, it was the thing I was praised for when you're a kid that can write and string sentences together, you often are also a good student because writing is such a big part of mm-hmm. school communication. So, you know, I excelled in school and writing was just my thing. I, I yeah. there was no other subject that I was good at. So I figured I'd be a writer. I thought I wanted to be a journalist maybe, but I always kind of toyed with wanting to write a book. And I went to college and I went to Yale and I got there and I felt so completely intimidated by everyone Mm -hmm. around me that I just buried it. I just, I was like, no, for me, you know, I don't really want to be a writer. That's impractical. I bet it was a really competitive environment too. Yes. And, And just even, I mean, silly stuff, but you know, kids are, you know, teenagers, young adults who go to really fancy prep schools and private schools, which I did not go to, you know, their command of just the English language, but also of of writing. I mean, they've been taught how to write, which, you know, I did a ton of it, but I had never had any formal instruction on how to cry and all that stuff. So I just felt intimidated and, and their confidence just drove me into the ground. So I was like, well, what the heck am I going to do with my life? So I decided to go. What was your major? I was a sociology major. Okay. I picked sociology, you know, ultimately now as an adult, everything I learned in in my major is so interesting and relevant to the stuff I think about now. But at the time I picked it because 
all of the media studies classes, because it's a liberal arts school, were, were lumped into sociology. So, you know, the communications tech classes were all in sociology. So I took all of those and then looked at my transcript my junior year and said, well, I need two more to complete the sociology major. So might as well do this. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I went to law school because I didn't know what else to do. And law school, the LSAT didn't require any knowledge of anything in particular. You just had to prove that you knew how to think and, and kind of ace the test, which mm-hmm. I knew how to do. So I went to law school, poured my heart into it, you know, was told everyone and myself that I'd always wanted to be a lawyer, which was the biggest lie I've ever told. And graduated and got down to LA, got married. Wait, so when you said to people, I want it, I always wanted to be a lawyer, were you also lying to yourself saying that? Or were yeah. you saying it to everyone else? No, I was lying to myself also. I, I'm I'm as we talk about narrative and storytelling, I I believe in the power of story in our own lives and believe that we are shaped more than anything else by the stories we tell ourselves. So you know, a story of I got intimidated and quit something was not a story I liked. So instead it was like, no, I'm ambitious and driven and want a career and Ah. in the entertainment industry as a lawyer and like negotiate deals was the story I decided to tell myself. Got it. It seems pretty convincing. That makes sense. No, that makes sense. And I'm sure there are elements of truth in it. It wasn't like a total fabrication. I'm sure you had dreams and ambition and those things were there. Yeah. And it's interesting. And I'll get there. Well, I'll get there quickly. Quickly, I'll circle back on that sort of, you know, one strain of your personality that you decide is your path. But so I, I graduated. I, I got married. I married someone that I met in law school. I met my husband in law school, who, you know, mm-hmm. and who I'm currently becoming unmarried to. And we got married and moved to LA and I changed my name, started a job at a big, you know, prestigious law firm all in the same. And then, you know, I moved to a new city all in the same week, which was, everyone was like, oh my gosh, it's so much change at once. For me, it was great because none of the individual decisions could totally rock me because I would never be able to determine which one I was freaking out about. I love the the logic that went into that. That's pretty oh. impressive. Well, by the way, it's been, it's sort of my MO. I, if I look back at my life, I've done it uh, every time that I've made a big life change. I've coupled it with a bunch. Of so then other- if everything comes crashing down, there's no one decision that caused it. Exactly. And you can't freak out about one thing because everything's crazy. Everything's crazy. Everything's crazy. Oh, it's that makes so much sense. And I like really want to psychoanalyze that, but I also want you to keep going. So. Oh, cool. so I lasted like a few months. And I remember this one day I was standing in my law firm office with a secretary who was twice my age, you know, who was doing things I asked her to, which was very weird for a 25 year old, you know, yeah, that like she was about 16. And I was looking out over this golf course and I, I thought I have made a grave mistake. I'm what, what has become of my life? I, this is not where I want to be. I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be in a stuffy office. You know, this is not who I am. I'm not this person and, you know, not the subject of this particular interview necessarily, but in retrospect, a lot of that didn't really have to do with the job. It probably had to do with the marriage that I had found myself Got in. It. So I started writing. That's the big wind up to say. Uh, and I started writing. On I the love side. that you turned to writing. 
during well, this like crisis of identity? Well, yeah, yeah, I did it. I think I did it again. I did it again two years ago. But um, yeah, I it I you know quote some people quote Flannery O'Connor, some people quote Joan Didion for quotes related to some version of I write to figure out uh, what I think. Um, I think Flannery O'Connor said, I like, I write to figure out what I want to say. And I'm probably botching both of those, but conceptually this idea that we write to like sort out the things we're wrestling with in our own life, Mm -hmm. which is what I did. So I wrote a TV pilot about a girl or woman actually my age at the time, whose life splits into two different realities called Parallel, Mm -hmm. which ultimately became my first novel when Mm -hmm. nothing happened with the TV show. So Since probably 2006, 2007, I have written most days like of my life and it started at that period. I wanted to write. I had this idea for a story. I couldn't seem to find time in the day. And I prayed uh, for urgency in my writing. And I asked everyone I knew because I was very enmeshed in the, you know, evangelical church at that time and had a small group and a women's Bible study and all these people. And you know, I said, I just really feel like it's my purpose and I just, I, but I can't seem to get my shit together. So I prayed for urgency and, you know, probably it wasn't the next day, but sometime very soon I woke up at four 45 in the morning and could not go back to sleep and heard a voice in my head that said, get up and write. And I started doing that and I'd never set an alarm, but every morning at four 45, my eyes would pop open and I would be wide awake inexplicably because I wasn't getting that much sleep and I would write and just then became a habit that, you know, over the years with three kids and different jobs and life stresses and all of that, it wasn't always quite so easy to kind of pop out of bed, but it was kind of, I mean, it was a discipline that I stuck to and I realized it became both like the pathway to doing the thing I wanted to do, like the, the keep steps in the right direction to keep moving forward. But also it was sort of the commitment I was making both to myself and to the art to say, okay, I'm just going to like, butt in the chair. So yeah, that, that was a long winded way. That's how I got to, to writing as a daily practice. Yeah, I know we've talked about this a little bit on like Voxer and Instagram too, but yeah, I guess I, I've I've had like a similar experience of just like life is never going to calm down. Like it just never is. And if I value this, if I value writing, if it's as important to me as it is, I am going to make time for it. Like I just I have to. I do the same thing very early in the morning. That's my writing time. And it's like it doesn't make sense, I guess with everything else that's happening in life, but it also is like so important for the, for my ability to function is is this writing practice and that sense of urgency of like needing, I need to do it in the morning or every day, but I just, that's the time. Like it's inside you. And it's, I mean, I think that is what makes a writer. I don't think it's how much you've written or if you've published or if anyone's ever read anything but it's that push from the inside. Yeah. Compulsion. Like you said, it does. It totally feels like that at times. Yeah. That is, that is super cool. And then, and then, so you have four books, three of them are YA. I'm going to see if I can name them parallel free to fall. Good. And first from revelation. Yes. It has a Bible verse in it. Shoot. 
what's going through my head is such a time as this, but that is not right. All things new, all things yes, new. That is. Yes, there it is. There it is. All things new. And then the new one is like a house on fire. Yes. Which That's- is very different than the other three that you wrote. Uh, very so- different is a dramatic understatement. <laughs> Could not be. be I've read three of your books. I haven't read Parallel, but I have read. Well, I guess I read a really early copy of Fire, House on Fire. Yeah, I don't, Um, it probably wasn't even called that when you read it, my guess. Yeah, I think it was called something with birds in it. And then, yeah, and so it is, like there's a, 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 yeah, it is very different. So tell me about the journey of going from a YA author to now what you wrote if that's not too big of a jump for you, can you, can you do that? I can, I can do that. I can do that. So I think with my YA books, I, there are a few things going on one. And because of the sort of nature of this podcast, I think it's probably something you, you know, or into it, but would be interested to talk about and unpack a little bit. I viewed my writing as sort of a God gifted talent, you know, a gifting from God that I was supposed to use for a purpose that at the time I would have, you know, labeled as like kingdom expansion or some sort of like, you can't see my face right now, but yeah, exactly. All the buzzwords. And (laughs) I believed that, that, you know, I look back at journals and emails and I ask people in Bible studies and groups and stuff to, you know, pray that I would earn favor in the eyes of the like, editor or agent who's reading my manuscript. It was all super spiritualized. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, and I, I think I chose YA because a few reasons. One, it's less intimidating. The voice of YA to me felt easy and it didn't feel like something I had to push to kind of like work the prose to be elevated literary fiction. Mm-hmm. I know some YA writers would like have beef with that, which is totally valid. But at the time, you know, I thought I'm writing like contemporary YA, like this is right. like, like a 17 year old girl. I am a 17 year old girl in, inside a, an aging body. But so, and I also wanted to write like good, uplifting, aspirational, not quote unquote dark stories. You know, I was never a particularly conservative person. So all my YA books have a few like swear words in them and there's talk of sex and probably all three of them. So I I wasn't like writing quote unquote clean Christian fiction, but I was trying to change the narrative of what teenagers were reading, you know, and Mm -hmm. started writing in 2010 and I, it was really spiritualized and it felt like a mission. And and that got me up in the morning. It was part of what got me up and, you know, I'm proud of those books and I, the teenagers who have been impacted by them, you know, they, it means a ton to me and I've made relationships with readers who have been impacted by one book or another, but when I finished all things new, I, I just had this sense that I did not have another YA book in me. Mm. And quite frankly, I wasn't sure I had any more books in me. Mm. And I knew I wanted to continue to write. And an important thing happened in that time period that I only recognized in retrospect was that, so this is like 2017, I'm 37 years old at the time. And, you know, I'm done writing these three books, you know, they didn't sell tremendously well. They did free to fall did the best. It did fairly well. It sells really well in Germany, apparently, but you know, I didn't have some like raging success story that was keeping me motivated. It wasn't financial. There wasn't a financial reason to keep doing it. It wasn't like it was paying my bills. 
So I, I just kind of looked around and said, well, what do I want to do next? Because I knew I wanted to still write, but I didn't have a story in my head. And the, the important thing that happened was I became that I, I, I decided during that period that I wanted to live a writer's life, which was such a transition for me because it, and it didn't mean anything really practically or externally. But before that, it's like I wanted to write successful books. Mm-hmm. It was very outcome oriented. I decided at 37, I don't actually give two craps how well my books sell, but I want to engage with the world as a writer. Yeah. And it was, it just felt so real and true and good. And so, you know, I toyed with some sort of like, do I start blogging again? Cause I had blogged when I was writing parallel, but I was like, no one's blogging. Do I use Instagram as a forum to kind of have almost like a daily column? I'm like, but I don't know. It's not really the medium for long form writing. And, and so then I decided, you know, I think I'm going to write a memoir, but I'm not sure even what I even have to say, uh, like what I would write about, but I I Mm -hmm. felt this stirring to write something really personal and to kind of engage with the world on something that was not like a story that was plot driven, but something Mm -hmm. personal. Mm -hmm. So I was on this vacation in Mexico in 2019, early in the year. And also as a side note, I had a premonition on New Year's day of 2019 that I was going to die in 2019. And I was really really convinced that I was going to die, which sounds crazy now, maybe, but I was really sure. And that's like a whole other like tangent I could run down, but I, so I was, I was kind of toying with like my life ending because I was going to die somehow that I wasn't anticipating. And wanting to engage with the world as a writer and wanting, like feeling like I had something to say, but not sure what it was and thinking maybe I would write a memoir about anticipatory grief because I'd always really feared the death of my parents. Mm. And I kind of wanted to write about that and how it affected my own experience of death and like my own aging process. And anyway, all these ideas are kicking around. I'm on a vacation with some, some girlfriends in Mexico and the idea for like a house on fire, I I said to a friend there, I'm going to write a memoir next day. I wake up and the idea for this book, like pounded into my brain. It was like, I know what that feels like, girl. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Underclapped. And it was weird. Here it is. You shall write this. You shall write this. And when listeners hear that like a house on fire is the story of two straight or ostensibly straight uh, cisgender married women who fall in love with one another and have a hot, steamy extramarital affair, you might be surprised that that was the idea that- Where did that come from? For a girl who has written like clean YA to try to like bring people to Jesus, this thunderclaps in my mind. So when an idea- This is so cool. I've got chills. I know where the story is going, but I still have chills. So keep going. going. Looking back, (laughs) where where was I in my life? Like I had, I thought I was going to die. I had a general malaise. I was in a spiritual desert. I had left the church I'd been attending because of all of the things I discussed in my loft podcast, you know, same church that we met at. I, you know, Trump was in office and that was really terrible. And I just, I felt like I had gotten so lost. I was like, I am complicit in this right-wing church machine that is oppressing women and oppressing Mm -hmm. gay people. That's, you know, Lily White. This is not who I was before. This isn't like some awakening. I'm like, how did I even get here? Why are, why is this my community? Why is this where I am? Anyway, so this, this idea of thunderclaps in my brain and I just start writing it. And what happened over, it took me a year to write it. And it 
it wrote itself. I mean, it poured out of me. Um, but while the events of the novel are completely fiction, I, in a metaphorical sense, was writing a memoir of the future. It, it completely dismantled my life. I asked questions in that book that I didn't know that I, I was repressing, questions that I wanted to be asking myself, but I think was too afraid to because I was scared of the answer. And so I let my main character ask those questions, questions about the state of my marriage, my role as a mother, my sense of community with the women I was friends with, like how connected I felt with these women who on the outside seemed to be just like me, but I felt like I had zero in common with. And so, and also, you know, quite frankly, you know, feelings of attracted attraction to women that I would never have let myself acknowledge in my rational, like self brain. Mm -hmm. So it came out in the story and all of it was the experience of my main character. And as I kind of got to the end and it's interesting, when I first started writing it too, it, it, it was going to be a totally different thing. These women were going to like have one, you know, kind of accidental drunken hot night. And then they like save the friendship and realize it can never happen again. And as you have read the book, that is not at all what right. the book actually was. It completely dismantles my main character's life as well. So that's, that's where I am. So now I'm, I'm on the brink of publishing this book. It comes out in April from Putnam and I'm being asked to do, you know, Q and a for publicity and write a behind the book uh, letter and explain the inspiration. And I'm being asked questions, you know, rightfully so about, you know, my entitlement to write a story about uh, a queer, I mean, essentially closeted queer character and, you know, whether I have the bona fides to write that based on my own experience and identity. Oh. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a lot. And so here I am now putting something in the world. that's not only different content wise, but it's so dramatically different in even what it's saying and what it's offering that, you know, I think there's probably still some loss to come in terms of my former self and mm. community and all that as it, as it makes its way into readers' hands. That was the there to hear. I won't go back to there. And my next book, I think, <laughs> is even even more, you know, off the chain in some of these ways. So we'll see. You know, wow. In for so it. My for first it. thought is as you were talking about you were writing about the future, like you were writing a memoir of the future. That is a moment that I just like, I feel so bad for people who aren't writers, like mm -hmm. to have that kind of experience and just like that experience of like your body and your intuition knew something you didn't know. Yeah. And it came out in a story and you're like, what the crap? And yet it was real. And it was like who you are, which is both terrifying and also just like super awesome at the same yeah. time. I mean, it's, it's uncanny if I let myself, you know, really dwell on some of the moments that I wrote in the book and then they happened exactly the way I wrote them. And it, and I would be surprised when it happened. Like it wasn't like, oh, it's happening. That thing I wrote. It's like I write a, a scene Merritt and Jane have an exchange or, you know, Merritt has a situation happening. and then. In my regular life, I have a metaphorically identical moment 
you know, in sort of like a one-to-one alignment of the, this stands for this and this stands for this. And I live it. And then a day later, I'm like, oh, wow, I, that, 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 that just happened. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I, I, I completely agree with you. It's such a gift. And, and I believe so strongly in the power of fiction and the power yeah. of metaphor to capture the truth of our lives. I mean, perhaps even better than if I had had like a manual of like, here's what's going to happen in the next year of your life, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's in a sense, truer than what happened in my real life. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, Jesus talks in parables. The Bible has filled with so Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I think about that, that like, there's a way in which metaphor and story is truer than reality. So. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I like, I think of my own experience like that, which was like writing, writing, or I, I took a, a course on how to write sex scenes in a literary fiction story and oh it was, God, I love it. Oh, it, that's amazing. It was, it was, it was, it was an amazing course. Like it was so phenomenal. And the stuff that came out during the writing exercises, it was like, I had no idea that was in me. Like oh, I, I had no idea, but it was also like unlocking something, which I think is why evangelicals are afraid of art because it does that. It like, it unlocks emotions and unlocks things that we in other contexts can keep suppressed and keep dormant and shut down. Art doesn't, you can't do that if you're an artist, like you have to tap into those things. And, and I, I really think that that's why the church fears art and why I interview artists Right. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it doesn't just unlock it. It unlocks it with a, like a flinging open of the door. It's like, it's not just like, Oh, what's this little thing that's creeping out. It's like a tidal wave of yes. thing inside you bursts out. And, you know, I, as I'm like waxing poetic about metaphor, I use them like far too much, but for me, it's like a, a flinging open of doors, but also that, that experience of driving in a car when you're exiting a parking lot and it's like, you know, do not back up severe tire damage. Like once you exit, you just cannot go back and not go back. So I think you're absolutely right. I think the church is absolutely afraid of it. The thing I thought you were going to say, when you said the church is afraid, I thought you were going to say the church is afraid of female sexuality, which um, (laughs) I also, also true. That Um, too. (laughs) And and I I don't think it's an accident that like art is often linked to female sexuality and the interesting that a little more. Well, I mean, just think of this, this sort of like stories of, I mean, the most obvious and probably banal example, but I love it is that the movie Pleasantville, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I saw that movie as a kid and in church, it was like, this movie is bad because, you know, the grown up characters have, you know, extra color to people. Yes. And that gives, (laughs) yeah, lights up their lives. And like, what this narrative is like from the devil. And, you know, as a grown up, you watch that movie and I'm like, those are a lot of dead people walking around, you know, Mm -hmm. and of course sex lights your life up. You know, it's like such a crucial part of being human and such a, you know, soul melding experience when it's happens in sort of the proper circumstances with consent and adults Mm -hmm. and all those things. So I just think there's that, that kind of power of art 
I think it's linked to, to female sexuality in part because art itself has been aligned with the feminine, whereas, you know, the masculine aligns with, you know, academia and, Absolutely. Um, and writing and thinking and the, the head experience, whereas art is an embodied experience. And so that's like earthy and murky and sensuous and female. So all of wow. those have been labeled bad. Absolutely. And would you go as far to say, I mean, this is just, this is just my, my experience. I don't know many other artists other than you who have had like sexual journey at the same time creating art. And I feel like there's so much happening in both places and how just like this tapping into intuition has allowed me to tap into sexuality in the same way that art allows me to tap into intuition. And there's just, there's such an intersection in both of those things. And I just now, and I'm new to this journey because I was raised in a very fundamentalist repressed world, but to me, it's like, why was this so terrifying? It's like beautiful and freeing and human. It's like, why were we so afraid of this? Like we need more of this, not less of it. And it's just, it's so beautiful. I don't know if that was a similar experience that you had. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, totally. Absolutely. I think, I mean, my answer for the, or not my answer, but my explanation for why it's linked for you is that I think all of those experiences are, I think you said this earlier, they're just embodied experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and and sexuality, they are, you have to be in your body. Absolutely. And once you're in your body, your body starts getting really noisy. Your body mm-hmm. starts telling you a lot about what you like and what you don't like and what you want to write about and what you want to think about. And I just lived in my head, you know, for the first 39 years of my life. I just, I didn't even realize that I didn't, I had no connection to my body. And now I, there, something happened in the experience of writing this book. I, I, I felt myself drop down into my bones, you know, and into my skin. But yeah, I mean, the fear is still there. I was raised by progressive Christian parents in a mainline church. I didn't get my dose of evangelicalism until I moved out here. And I, no one had told me that like tattoos and hip music were not related to liberal politics. Someone, I didn't get the memo (laughs) that, that the opposite is true. I, no one ever told me that, but even with my progressive liberal parents, sexuality and my sexuality in a, you know, in particular, I'm learning now, there is this fear that if I open a door, and so for them, it's like, if I say that I'm queer, if I, after I'm, you know, fully out of this, my marriage, if I'm, you know, dating women, partnering with women, that I'm on a path to somewhere that the destination is very dark and unknown. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't even think it's like bigotry or homophobia. I think it's actually tied to sexuality. I think it's like, I'm going to get lost. They're going to lose me because mm. my sexual orientation is changing. And, you know, the place I am like standing on what to me feels like really sturdy ground. It's, it's hard for me to connect to that fear. And I think that only reinforces for them like it's almost confirmation for them because I seem so, you know, bold and careless and sort of like, you know, I don't seem to be afraid 
And so that's reinforcing this narrative that something has gone very wrong with me because I just feel so liberated. Oh, that's yeah. so, so fascinating. So, so my worst enemy, because I'm standing there being like, I feel good, guys. I'm at all's really well. And then it's like, what has happened to you? You know, like, so it's like anxiety would be a greater sign of faith. yes. Oh my, uh, uh, in fact, I was like actually told that by somebody as a kid. It's funny that you say that really Um, like, you know, worry as an acknowledgement that like, you know, that like, like it's fear of God. I, I, it, it affected me a ton. I'm trying to like dismantle anxiety and worry and like this constant sort of like guilt and shame and awareness is, is the state that we're supposed to live in. And I, it is not the place that I'm living in right now for better or for No. Well, I mean, I don't know that I was ever overtly given a message that like anxiety was a good thing, but, oh, evangelicals are very anxious people. (laughs) So much anxiety. And I just, I feel, it's not that I don't struggle with anxiety. I do just kind of chronically because of trauma and a long history of that, but I just, the added anxiety of evangelicalism that was so unnecessary. It was just, it was so unnecessary. And yeah, it, there is something I, I want to, I want to think about that more of just, yeah, there's something about like ang- anxiousness correlating with, yeah, how good of a Christian you are, like how often, how, how much you're striving basically. Exactly. Well, and there's this sense that like, if we're not careful, we're going to get lost. And I mean, there's so many verses that are weaponized to, you know, mm-hmm. the heart is deceitful above all else. I mean, I can't quote you mo- much scripture, but I can quote you some verses. I can quote that, that one. <laughs> that, are, that are designed to, to keep you, you know, to keep you in line. Now, is it possible that that verse is about, you know, the American dream and greed and, you know, our, our lies that we tell ourselves about prosperity and the colonization of people by the Christian church and like, mm-hmm. no, but it's only used to talk about desire. It's only used to talk about those sort of like, what are they called? What do they call those sins? The hot sins. Yeah. And, and anyway, I, I just got to a place where I am not afraid that I'm going to get lost because God is, feels very close in, in fact, God feels indwelling in me, <laughs> which mm-hmm. actually is, is what Jesus said. And so it's true, yeah. there, there is no place that I can get lost. And, you know, as an artist, as I'm, you know, cause also my parents are like, you know, how, what, how do you feel about this message that you're putting in the world? I'm like, I'm not putting a message in the world. I'm talking <laughs> story. Yes. Story. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, how do you feel? And also like, well, what if your book leads someone to like sleep with their best friend? I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I bet that's a good story that they could write about, you know, I mean, it's just the fear (laughs) of like the messiness of life. It's just not scary to me. And I just, where I just, I I said to my parents, I think I, I feel good about the fact that if there is a moment when you stand before the creator of the universe and are asked to say like, you know, what the fuck did you do with your life to, to look at that creator, look at that all powerful being and say, well, here's what I did. I used my intellect and my intuition, which you gave me. And I did the best that I could to orient toward love. 
using my intellect and my intuition. Let's if, put that on a church sign. Yeah, well, what, what is God going to say? Oop, you were duped, you know? And like, <laughs> send you on It's sort of like, uh, right. faculties. this is what I have. I don't, it's not, I'm not going to listen to what John Piper tells me to do with my life. Is that what I'm supposed to tell God? <laughs> I did what John Piper said. John Piper would probably say yes. I know, exactly. Am I in? Am I in or am I out? So that's putting me in mind of my, my own writing journey for some reason at a very, very young age when I was just writing plays for my stuffed animals to perform for me, I was very conscious of how Christian books, fiction books were agenda driven. I couldn't, couldn't have named it that 11 year old, but I, I, for some reason it, I didn't like it. And I remember like my first novel that I wrote, which was also when I was a teenager feeling like too, like, like pressure to write a book with an agenda one, because that's what Christians do. And like, it has to have some kind of like redeeming message that like, you know, leads people to God. And then come on, Catherine. Yeah. (laughs) I felt like that was like a pull that I was like, quote, supposed to do. And then there was this other side that just did not want to do that. Like just, there was this connection, like my characters, especially the main characters are always so vivid. And it's always been this way. They've always been so vivid to me, like real people. I know them. They are my friends. And so I was trying to like fit these characters that were my friends into an agenda that I felt like I was supposed to write. And so my journey as a writer has been throwing off that need for an agenda or a message and just let the characters tell the story. And it's not Christian in a sense in a sense, but at the same time, it's like, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> well, and I actually was just going to argue it's not Christian. I mean, it's not the definition of, you know, a moralizing message, but like exactly about characters who are like struggling to know themselves, know others, connect, find their purpose, you know, find meaning, all of that. That's the human experience. Like mm-hmm. that is quote unquote Christian, because that's what it means to be a human being on earth and like right. life is about. So, right. I mean, how would real life friends of yours feel if you were like, Hey guys, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to tell you. And exactly turn out be like, bye. No, but then you feel that way in the, in, in relationships too. like pull out of writing and go into relationships. And I just think about the 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 queer conversation and like friends of mine who were who were on that journey and feeling a pressure from this you know mysterious christianity thing that i was supposed to do something about it like yeah. i need to like address this with them i need to share something with them i need to you know make sure i say something but i didn't really know what it was and it was like this war of just like be a friend or like try to save them you know like that kind of thing and and it yeah that same thing would happen in my writing 
in real life of just like this war of like, I just want to be a human being with another human being versus I need to like do something, it, it just act yeah. in some way. Yeah, the same thing that happens in art. I mean, it's the same dance when you finally just let people be who they are and love them. I mean, I think that's stories pour out of you when you look at your characters and you're like, I'm not going to make you something that you aren't. And I'm not going to, you know, oh, I, this queer character popped in my head and I, they have this trauma and they have this experience. And then it's like this, like robot comes inside your brain and says, and that means they need to have a transcendent experience. And then repent and started working in for straight kids. Like, you know, and it's just, it's, it, what I, what I dislike about it so much now, as I've kind of evolved in this journey over time is that it actually is taking the thinking brain, the conscious brain, and it, it creates a wall and it's, it's shutting down the subconscious, which is where the story came from. And I decided to believe that like the story didn't come from me. I'm the vehicle. So like, who am I to, to put a wall up on what the story wants to be? You know? Exactly. So yeah, exactly. I had that happen. I had a, a trans character pop into my story. Wasn't planned. And mm-hmm. I explored that journey in that how to write a sex scene class. And it was, I don't know. And it's kind of like, as you were like talking about your journey, I was like, when stuff like that happens in the story, it's like, this is, a, this is a total gift. My body gave me something and I'm just going to run with it. And I'm just going to see what happens. And rather than like, oh my gosh, freak out. Oh my gosh. Why do I have a trans character in my book? <laughs> Let's stop it. Like, no, they need to be real. And I'm so grateful for that character because it did lead me on a journey of sexual exploration because I just, I wanted to know the character and like, what would yeah. this character be like and what would their experiences be? Which is just another reason why I'm like, I'm so, I'm so sad. Other people don't get to experience this. Really? <laughs> I want everyone to be a writer. So kind of just like a wrap up question. And then I'll just, if you have any other thoughts, I'd love to hear, but how have you experienced art as healing for you? Well, that's a great question. I think I mean, so many the answers is in a million ways I cannot name. I think mm-hmm. the daily practice, as I'm, I'm sure you feel this too, the catharsis of, again, it's not like journaling. It's not like this is what happened. I need to write about it. But any the thing I'm working out is always coming out in the book. And it's so, whatever book it is. And it's cathartic to sort of process through the characters. And there is a release. I mean, Mm-hmm. I suffer from anxiety too. Writing is my biggest like anti-anxiety medication. If mm-hmm. I'm not writing, I'm ruminating and spiraling on something in my life. That's like yeah. probably not important. Yeah. So spiral about the book, lay in bed at night thinking like what your main character is going to do. Exactly. I mean, you're really trying to figure out what you're going to do, but like, don't like let your, <laughs> brain be, your brain be tricked. You know, it's like, let your brain right. turn off. So that experience, I think with this book in particular, like House on Fire, because it's so personal and because it was really a gateway for me, it opened, the best way I can describe it is it opened space in my mind. It gave me permission to explore and like ask and think and all of that. And, you know, I just let the story be what it was going to be. And I 
finally just let myself be who I'm going to be, you know, like with the complexity and sort of the pieces that don't seem to add up to finally say, well, if you're not trying to make the pieces add up, then maybe I'm a person like the description of me is a character who doesn't quite add up, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's fine. And the, the gift, the healing has been, I have a book I'm really proud of. Mm-hmm. And I have like a testament to like the, the commitment I made to write, you know, more than 10 years ago. And also the journey that I took as a, as a person individually and with my identity and sexuality. And I have a piece of art that not that I'm proud of in the sense of like, people are going to like it and therefore like me, but like almost in a sense, it it's already been worth it because no matter what happens in my own life. And if I get some sort of happily ever after, or my things, stars all align, and I'm just like, you know, living my best life from here on out, I still have this book. I have this beautiful Mm -hmm. thing that I need, you know, and I don't know. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. So I've, this is like, I don't know how this relates to the journey that you've had, but you seem I've known you how long? Four years, I guess. No, um, that. It was longer than that, wasn't it? Didn't October you? October 2017 was when I moved to LA. So you oh. moved at the like the pinnacle of my descent into madness was like when I met you. That's amazing. That was like that's the really cool. <laughs> that the beginning. Maybe you're the reason, Catherine. Maybe you brought Satan into my home. No, just kidding. <laughs> Just you can tell, you can tell everyone that you can blame me. Yeah. So what were you going to say? Something about me, which I'm curious. <sighs> yeah. So it kind of seems like on one hand, this is total, totally digressing, but maybe it relates. Everything you touch turns to gold, like Yale law school, all these businesses you've started knowing how very difficult it is to like get a book published to like have four of them, you know, like it's on one hand and then on, 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 then on the other hand, it kind of doesn't feel like you feel that way about your life that everything turns to gold. That's true. Yes. Do you, do you see that at all? Are you like, Um, no, I, well, it's interesting. I, you know, sort of the academic stuff you, you can't, kind of undo because it just is, but you know, the experience for me of the last year has been a, a burning down of this mm. identity. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, it's not, I don't, I'm proud of this book. It's not like some salacious, terrible thing that I'm, you know, is going to smear my name in mud, hopefully, but there is a sense in which the identity that I built, that was like the successful person who, you know, had a, successful, attractive husband and three kids who were smart and cute and had a house and like books and a career and all that stuff. Like that identity is, is dying on the vine and maybe Mm. burning on the vine. Mm. Um, So, uh, you know, I look back at that striving, ambitious person who wanted to, needed to create, like, you know, be an entrepreneur and start new things and help people with new things and write books and also have a career and strive, strive, strive. I just, I look at her and was like, oh girl, all that energy that you spent spinning, 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 if you had just learned how to sit and, and Mm -hmm. drop down into your, into your bones and write something like deep, you Mm -hmm. know? 
So yeah. And for me, I just like, cause I've done so much work, as you can imagine, therapy was such an, a must for life transitions, like, like divorce and changing of one's sexual orientation and yeah, moving out and all of that and writing a book and all that is scandalous and all that stuff. I just realized that my, my real desire was always belonging, I think mm. not achievement. And I think even with my books, I was trying to just deeply to connect to people. Mm. And with this, I'm, I feel already that I will do that when this book comes out and not with everyone, there are going to be people who hate it, you know, like a lot of Christian people, a lot of people who are former friends are going to hate it. But mm-hmm. I just feel like this is the thing that I feel is my greatest success because I think it's, it's going to be the bridge that I always wanted to like, you know, just reach out and connect. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting to hear your perspective of your life. And I feel that that kind of, that I think that's a, just an important thing for all of us to hear because we live in a society that demands striving and the evangelical world is no different right. <laughs> um, in terms of their requirement of us to, to strive and to achieve. And so I just, I think that that's, yeah, it's just such a powerful perspective and journey. And I just, I just enjoy getting to chat with you more. So, well, I, I am like, I can't believe we've talked as long as we have, because it just, you know, and (laughs) I want to turn and interview you because I want you to answer all of the questions that you ask me. But it's also, I mean, in terms of the belonging thing, it's just like so nice to connect. You know, we already have connected over this, but to connect with another writer, another person of faith, you know, in various stages of deconstruction Mm -hmm. on this journey to just, I mean, there's the belonging, like you and I, we belong. Uh, This conversation has been healing for me. Yeah. I can like feel it in my core. Like, I'm like, this was just so cool. I loved it. So I'll wrap up the interview portion now, and then we can chat more if you have time, but yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to say to folks as we wrap up the interview? So, I mean, just to anyone who's thinking about, and you would say this too, like, cause you've said it a few times, like thinking about writing or feeling like you have a story do it, but also don't manage it. Don't control it because mm-hmm. it's, it is a gift and it's such a journey and you don't have to like, want to get published in order to, to do it. You absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much beauty and just the pure act of creation or experience, Great. not act experience of creation. Yeah, there's just so much in that. That's it doesn't have to be a, a career or I feel like most writers want to be heard though. Like they want people to read their stuff. So I think that comes, that comes with it, but. But also a bit, I mean, that can happen in so many different ways, right? That's that true. Can happen Absolutely. Like a writing group that can happen, you know, with, with friends that can happen in a blog that can happen on Instagram. If it's in. Absolutely. You know, I mean. You're absolutely right about that. Making so. a podcast. Like. Exactly. I mean, this isn't my creation. Like it's all. It's all part of like the story. T- I mean, we're all telling stories. Like every inter every interview that you do, the person you're interviewing, I- I'm telling more of my story in the course of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Things are becoming more clear to me just having spoken to you. And that's yeah. like that's the beauty of this work, you know? Amen. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, I will wrap us up. Thank you so much, Lauren McBrayer. 
for coming on and sharing, sharing your creative journey with us. It was amazing. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. End scene. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.